David Wilkerson was the founder of Teen Challenge, a ministry that started among the gangs of New York and has evolved and today helps free hundreds, thousands of people from drug addiction. And the early days of that ministry were incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. But after a number of years, they began to enjoy some success. Money was coming in from donors to fund their operations. Wilkerson was being recognized for work, and he often was a keynote speaker at conferences. And after years of hard labor, he was feeling good. But sadly, he began to get a bit cocky. He began to lead his ministry with an attitude of arrogance rather than an attitude of humility. So God sent a messenger to get his attention. And one day, out of the blue, a stranger walked up to him on the street and said, David, I have a message for you from the Lord. You're too full of pride. You are trusting too much in yourself. You need to repent and humble yourself before God. And Wilkerson's first reaction was, who does this guy think he is? I'm David Wilkerson. I'm running a successful ministry. I know what I'm doing. And he decided to ignore this obnoxious stranger. But later, after a time of reflection and prayer, he realized that this man was right. And so he confessed his arrogance. And he got his life and his leadership back on track. God wants leaders who serve with humility. And it's true of leaders inside the church, and it's also true of leaders outside the church, particularly in the area of human government. God is the creator of this world. He is the ultimate authority in this world, and he wants leaders who will govern his world wisely and well. And when people in leadership misuse or abuse their authority, God often will try to get their attention so they will learn to lead with humility. And we see this several times in the Bible. And we see it here in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon rules over a large and powerful empire and he leads and rules in a tyrannical, brutal, arrogant way. And as we've been working our way through this book, we've seen God trying to get this king's attention through Daniel and his friends. He wants to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention so he will rethink how he leads. And up to this point, the king does not fully get it. And so as the story progresses here in chapter 4, we see God turn up the heat. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. 
How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar writes these words, he is at the height of his powers. His empire is large, he's amassed tremendous wealth, and he's conquered many different nations and cultures. It's not surprising that he thinks of himself in grandiose terms as if he does, in fact, rule over all the people of the earth. And yet, as we see from the opening words of this proclamation, something's changed. Previously, the king was willing to say some nice things about the God of the Jews, about their God. But now his tone has changed. His comments are much more honoring toward God. They're they're a little more personal in nature. And furthermore, he doesn't just talk about the power of God. He also talks about the authority of God, this God who rules over an eternal kingdom. Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar has been through some kind of experience that has marked his life. So what does he do in response? He writes a proclamation to his subjects because he wants everyone in his empire to know what God has done. So what what exactly did God do to prompt this particular reaction from this king? As we're going to see, he took Nebuchadnezzar through an incredibly difficult and humiliating experience. And it began with a fearful message revealed in a dream. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That's so often when God shows up. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar. After the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this vivid and disturbing dream, but if you've been following long, this initial response from him doesn't seem to make any sense. After all, back in chapter 2, the king had a dream and only Daniel could interpret it. So he knows that the right answer is to call Daniel. Daniel will tell him what this dream means, but he doesn't immediately ask Daniel for help. Instead, he calls in the B team. Why would he do that? Well, we're not told. So I think we have to make some inferences. And here's what I think is happening. I think the king is trying to avoid the need to call on Daniel. And that's because every time Nebuchadnezzar interacts with either Daniel or his friends, he's a bit humiliated. These men of faith have wisdom and spiritual gifts like no one else in the Babylonian empire. And their God does amazing things. So every encounter results in the king having to honor these Jews and their God. 
Nebuchadnezzar is full of pride. Pride in himself. Pride in Babylonian culture. Pride in Babylonian gods. And he does not like feeling inferior. So he'd rather avoid calling on Daniel. It's much more comfortable dealing with the regular crowd of wise men. They are much more subservient than Daniel, and they're not going to talk to the king about God. So if they can interpret the dream, life will be much more simple for the king. By his actions, I think the king is making it clear that he views Daniel and Daniel's God as the court of last resort. And he's not alone. That's the way many people deal with God. And if we're honest, sometimes it's the way we deal with God. We keep God at arm's length and and we try to deal with stuff on our own and then we call God in when we run out of options. And that's what the king has to do when his wise men fail. He turns to Daniel out of necessity And and despite all that's happened, we can see that he still does not yet understand Daniel's faith. The king thinks that somehow Daniel gets wisdom and power from a multiplicity of gods, not the God. Nebuchadnezzar still has much to learn, and he still is full of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And that proverb is about to come true in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. His unrelenting pride, which causes him to rule unjustly, is going to lead him to destruction. And as we read what follows, we need to recognize that refusing to let go of pride always has consequences. Verse 9. I said, that's Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Interesting that he calls him that. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw... While lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. 
the holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. God is the one who gives rulers authority. And he expects rulers to govern then with some humility. And when they don't, God often takes overt steps to humble them. And so the first consequence of pride for this king is that God steps in and shakes up his comfortable world. He sends a fearful message through a dream to get this king's attention. And this is not unique. I believe that God continues to still do this same kind of thing today. I once had a fascinating conversation with a man who served as a missionary in Sacramento, California. He had a ministry to the politicians that worked in the state capitol. And he told me that many of those people were incredibly egotistical. Is that a surprise? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They were arrogant, self-centered, and they viewed themselves as so much better than ordinary citizens. And that's not what God wants in leaders. And this missionary, Ken, told me that periodically one of these men or women would come to him with an unusual story about an odd accident, an unusual interaction with a constituent, or even a strange dream. These are not the kinds of stories that make the evening news or go viral on the internet, but it was so evident to Ken that God was at work trying to get the attention of these politicians to bring about some humility in their lives so they would govern with humility. And some of them did what prideful people do. They ignored God. But some of them listened and began to change. And whether we hear about it or not, we need to trust that God is always at work. Doing the same kind of work in the same kind of way that he always has and always will. And I believe he's always at work in a variety of ways trying to get the attention of leaders. And with this king, Nebuchadnezzar, his approach is to use a troubling dream. And we can see that this dream has many different images, but the bottom line is clear. God is the ultimate authority over all kingdoms and rulers. And the king needs to recognize where his authority comes from. It's a message that he must grasp. But he doesn't yet understand it. And that's about to change. King Nebuchadnezzar continues, Now Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. 
Daniel's perplexed, not about what the dream means. He's perplexed because he knows what it means, and he's not sure how the king's going to respond. And evidently, there's some emotion that's transmitted via his facial expression. The king picks up on this and says, Daniel, go ahead. Gives him some encouragement. I want you to tell me the truth. And Daniel starts out by saying, you're not going to like this message, king. I would much rather be giving this to your enemies than to you. What you're about to hear is going to be painful, Nebuchadnezzar. Look what he says, verse 20. The tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. Well, so far so good. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree, the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, Your Majesty, Be pleased to accept my device. Daniel is imploring him, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So here's another consequence of pride. Sometimes, When we're not listening, sometimes when we're not getting the message, God will send a person into our lives to tell us the painful truth. He's going to send a messenger to give us the bad news that we need to hear. And for King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel is that faithful messenger. And Daniel's faith is evident because once he gets over his initial discomfort, he does what a person of faith must do in this situation. He tells the king the full story without holding anything back. And so this king learns that God has a decree against him. And he is going to lose his power and his authority and his influence. He will be like a mighty tree that is cut down. Now, it would would not be easy for anyone to learn that they are under judgment from God. No one wants to be cut down. For this king, however, it's a particularly harsh 
message he's used to his armies doing the cutting down. He sends his men out to cut down other kings and kingdoms, and now the tables are turned. He is going to be cut down by God himself. And if that's not enough, if it's not enough to lose his position and his power, he's going to experience madness. He's going to live like an animal, grazing for food like an ox, and this is going to last for a period called seven times, probably seven years. That is a bleak prediction. And yet... The situation is not entirely hopeless because there's a stump that's left behind and the metaphor means that the king will be restored if he submits to God. In other words, the message says that God's judgment is tempered by mercy. And the purpose of this judgment is not punishment. The purpose is to bring about meaningful change in Nebuchadnezzar's life so that he will become a better ruler. God is not giving up on this king. There's a ray of hope. And Daniel highlights that ray of hope by offering some advice to the king. Renounce your sins and demonstrate that you have a changed heart by a changed life. He's challenging the king to break off his allegiance to his pagan gods and acknowledge the one God. The God of heaven and earth. The message is clear. If Nebuchadnezzar wants to rule again, he must learn some humility so that he can lead wisely and well. He must stop being an oppressor. And instead, he must show kindness to the oppressed. I don't know how God could give a more clear message. It's a message of warning with a ray of hope. And how does the king respond to this very clear message? He ignores it. Because he's not yet ready to let go of his pride. Look what happens next. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. When we're full of pride, sometimes we don't listen to God. Even when he speaks with painful clarity, 
And so King Nebuchadnezzar ignores the dream. He ignores the interpretation of the dream. And he spends an entire year allowing himself to become even more consumed with vanity and pride. Why does God delay? I think it's because he's gracious. I think it's because he's giving this king time to reflect and respond. But Nebuchadnezzar is not yet ready to take God seriously. And I find myself wondering if you and I sometimes make that same mistake. This is not a wise way to respond to God because he may take his time, but he always keeps his word. And so, As this prideful king is boasting to himself one day, a voice from heaven reminds him of the promised judgment. It's now going to happen. And so Nebuchadnezzar begins to act like an animal. He's driven out of the palace and he grazes in the fields like an ox. This is a very odd affliction. But it's actually a known psychological syndrome. It's called boanthropy, and it's a condition where people believe that they are a bovine, either a cow or an ox, and it's happened numerous times in human history. God has afflicted King Nebuchadnezzar with a very strange but known malady, and he does this because he wants to prompt this king to respond with humility. Now, some people wonder, could this really have happened? And if it did, how could the kingdom continue to operate during seven years when the king's mad? Recorded history about the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar is pretty sketchy. But there are some historians who refer to very strange illness that the king experienced late in life. And there are some other historians who, who indicate that the throne was vacant. For a period of time. And that in such cases it was customary for the wise men to maintain order while a king was incapacitated. I find that rather interesting. But whatever the details, the big picture is clear. Nebuchadnezzar experiences an incredible downfall as a direct result of his pride. And this downfall lasts for an extended period of time. Instead of living in a palace, enjoying wealth and luxury... Instead of exercising power, he now lives outdoors, he grazes on grass, and he's exposed to the elements like a beast in the field. And here's what I find really fascinating. This description of the king is written by the king. It's written by the king in a proclamation to everyone in his kingdom. He doesn't cover up this humiliating event. He doesn't try to give it some political spin. He just explains it with painful honesty. He is willing for everyone to know that he went mad as an act of judgment by God. Would we do that? God took us through a painful, humiliating experience? Would we be willing to let other people know? To know what we had been through and what God had done? 
I think this takes some real courage on the part of the king, and it's a clear sign that he is starting to change. And because he's changing, because he finally is beginning to embrace some humility, then God does in fact restore him. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Look what he says about God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Here is an earthly king who finally acknowledges the limitations of his own power. That ultimate power and ultimate authority rest with the God of heaven and earth. Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Not one of many gods, the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. When we struggle with pride, and God brings us down, the only sure path to restoration is humility. And it's not always easy. Some people like Nebuchadnezzar are incredibly stubborn and they hold fiercely to their pride. The king finally relents but only after living like an ox for seven years. How long do you and I sometimes hold on to things that God wants us to let go of? What does it take for us to be willing to submit to God? God graciously restores this king, but not because he's a perfect man. He's restored because he's displayed some humility. He publicly affirms the greatness of God and acknowledges that God is the ultimate authority. He has this new reverence for God and and a new attitude of humility. He understands the limits of his power And this should help him to be a better leader of the people in his kingdom. Because God wants people who rule to lead wisely and well and to do so with humility. He wants leaders who recognize that he is the source of all power and all wisdom and all authority. And this tyrannical king finally is beginning to accept that And he understands that God will humble people whose lives are shaped by pride. So what does this story mean for us? How do we respond? I'd like to suggest three things. First, God does want leaders who lead with humility. 
and acknowledge that their authority comes, fr- comes from him. And I think this should change how we pray. I-, I think we often pray for governmental leaders asking that our preferred policy outcomes take place. And I think we need to pray that our leaders would humble themselves before God then they will be far more likely to embrace the advice that Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar. They'll be able to do what is right, and they will be kind to the oppressed. God will bring them to that point if they humble themselves before him. And second, we need to acknowledge that pride is not just a problem for leaders. It can be a problem for us. Pride can cause us to misuse or abuse our responsibilities. We can focus too much on ourselves and not enough on others. And in extreme cases, we even can treat other people as if they exist to serve us or please us, and we can wind up using them. And God wants us to listen to Him and to let go of pride wherever it may have its grip on us. And He wants us to model a life of humble faith. And third... The most basic form of pride is self-sufficiency. When we live as if we do not need God, when we live as if we can handle life completely on our own apart from the Creator, we're displaying pride. And it takes some humility to acknowledge our need for forgiveness. It takes some humility to admit that our lives are broken. It takes some humility to repent and acknowledge that we need God. And if you've never taken that initial step of faith to get connected to God, please don't let pride stop you. Follow the example of King Nebuchadnezzar. Turn your eyes toward heaven and let the King of Kings embrace you with his love and forgiveness. If you'd like to talk about how you can make a fresh start with God, please, please talk to me after the service. Wherever we find ourselves today, in our own lives, in our own spiritual journey, let's resolve. Pride will not keep us from God. Because as this story makes clear, the consequences of pride are too significant to ignore.